0: Welcome to Grace Presbyterian Church. My name is uh, Marshall Brown. I'm one of the pastors here. I do ask that you keep your Bibles open in front of you. Erica just read. If you have want to look at the Pew Bible, I believe it's on page uh, 1016. I will make a couple references to the verses surrounding the ones that we will be looking at. I am glad that you're here. Thankful that you're here. Uh, a lot of things you could be doing. You could be catching up on your Olympic watching. Uh, you could find a cool farmer's market right now. Uh, You could be getting ready for Lollapalooza. Doubt that's this crowd, but nonetheless, uh, maybe some of the teenagers. But you've chosen to be here, and that is a good decision, friends, worshiping the risen Christ with his people, considering the claims of Jesus upon us. So, what is Grace Presbyterian Church? Well, we are a church, which means we are a community, and any community is gathered around something, or in our case, someone. And we are gathered around the person of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is God's Son, God's Messiah. And he has entered into the world because God so loved the world to save the world from its sin, to reveal God's love to us, and to one day put the world to rights. So every week we come together to worship, to be together, to experience God's love for us again and afresh, to remind one another through our singing through our praying, through our missions, through our children's sermon, through all of it, of that love, and then to go forth after this service to reflect that world, to reflect God's love to a world that vastly needs it. Our neighbors, the people on our block, the people we work with, the city of Chicago, and the world. So we're a community that is gathered to experience God's love and to reflect that love. And so let me pray before we look at this passage from 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, Yeah, let me just pray. Our great God, as we think about what I've just said and the, our call to reflect uh, your love for our neighbors, we, or at least I can't help but think of our neighbor to the south, the city of Chicago, which is hurting so badly, even just this week, this month, just the, the spike in violence, multiple mass shootings this week. I haven't even seen the reports uh, from the weekend. And so God, as we come to consider your word, we want to pray for the politicians, our partners, the pastors and churches and most especially the people of Chicago. God, first we pray for the politicians. We particularly pray for Mayor Lightfoot and Police Chief Brown, that you would give them wisdom and courage to make the right decisions uh, to do what is necessary to uh, stop this violence, to lessen this violence. More importantly, God, we pray for our partners in the city, ministries like GRIP and By the Hand and Sunshine Gospel, and safe families would you be with them would you help them know how to do their calling their job that you have called them to in the places and the parts of the city where they are God and even more than that we pray for the pastors and the churches in Lincoln Park we pray for Ethos Presbyterian and Pastor Ron May we pray for Park Community Church and Pastor Joe Riccardi on the south side God we pray for Progressive Baptist Church and Pastor Charlie Dates we pray that you would be with all those pastors and all those churches that they would Worship you in fullness of joy, but also in a great love for their direct neighbors in the city of Chicago. But most of all, God, we pray for the people, the victims, the people still in hospitals, the families who have suffered loss. We pray, Lord, uh, for them. And God, we pray for ourselves. Help us to know what it means to reflect your love, to be a good neighbor. And so, God, as we gather around your word in this text and first preacher, we pray that you would meet us that you would encourage us, that you would inflame our hearts, that you would inspire us. And so we pray, therefore, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. All right, well, we have been studying the book of 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter, and we're nearing the end. Now, as has been said, the book of 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter, was written to Christians in Asia Minor, what we know of as Anatolia, or the modern country of Turkey. And for the first Christian readers, now for the first readers of Peter's apostle there in Asia Minor, you know, Christianity was both a source of great joy, it was their salvation, it was great joy, but it was also, uh, ironically and sadly, the reason that they suffered, Uh, 1 Peter 2 tells us that they were denounced as criminals. 1 Peter 3 tells us they were reviled. 1 Peter 4 tells us they were maligned and even were in the danger of physical hostility. So in so many ways, the letter of 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, is trying to make sense of and to encourage Christians who are enduring suffering, persecution. And more broadly, though, more broadly, the book of 1 Peter is about how to relate to, as a follower of Jesus, how to relate to the outside world. The outside world, okay? How to relate to a broader culture that is marginalizing you, mocking you, and even persecuting you. There's a reason that 1 Peter has been beloved in places like Muslim Indonesia and Soviet-controlled East Germany. And there's a reason that this book feels exceedingly relevant today in 2021 in the post-Christian America and the post-Christian West. Now, last week, Pastor Chris, who just did the children's sermon, or intern Chris, he'll be Pastor Chris soon enough, uh, he preached on suffering. Chapter 4, verse 12, if you have your Bible, look with me. He preached on chapter 4, verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes. He talked about suffering last week, and next week, the sermon will also, and again, be about suffering. So you have suffering, church leadership, church relationships, suffering. What's the deal? I mean, it's like this passage this week is in the midst of a suffering sandwich, and at first glance, a passage on elders and Christian leadership and life within the church, it doesn't seem to fit or to make sense. Why is there a passage on church leadership and inter-church relations in a letter, in a section of a letter, that are particularly about suffering and relating to the outside world? But then you realize, the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of Peter. Because in the face of persecution, in the face of external pressure, Discussions about how to relate inside the church to one another are exceedingly relevant. One scholar puts it this way 1 Peter 5, 1 to 5, is a logically necessary explanation of inter church solidarity that is required in the face of persecution. Okay? Now, let me be very clear this is not just a passage for pastors and elders. Look with me, verse 5. The Apostle Peter makes sure to say to all of you, this is a... And I'm going to say this regularly, okay, so to to reinforce the point. This is for all of us, not just elders. This is for all growing and maturing Christians. This is for all of us, okay? So here's my outline. The credentials of elders and of growing Christians, that's verse 1. The ministry of elders and growing Christians, that's verse 2, the first part. The character of elders and growing Christians... Verses 2 and 3, and the reward of elders and growing Christians, verse 4. The, pre- uh, the credentials, the ministry, the character of the reward. First, the credentials of an elder and every growing Christian. Verse 1, look with me again. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker and the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, a couple words before I talk about these credentials. Uh, The Greek word here for elder is actually presbyteros, which you might hear that's in our name, Grace Presbyterian Church. It's where we get our name. Uh, The word presbyteros in Greek means elder, okay? To be a Presbyterian church is to be led and ruled by elders. And in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA, and in our tradition, elders includes Teaching elders, that's what Nick and I are, we're teaching elders um, uh, who have been called, trained, and elected by the congregation. But it also includes lay people who have been elected, trained, and installed to the office of ruling elder. Teaching elders, ruling elders, okay? So I say this, but remember though, the implication is for all of us, not just those who are pastors and elders in this church or others, okay? Now, what's happening here? Verse 1, Peter is going to exhort He's like, "I exhort you as a fellow. like once I, st- I, I, I exhort you. Uh, I've never had anybody actually say that to me, please don 't start now. Um, I don't really want to be exhorted. Uh, it's, it's kind of a funny word, maybe it could be translated better, but he's saying, i'm going to exhort you, but before he does, that, if you 're going to exhort somebody, you've got to have a little like street cred. Okay So here are what Peter's doing in this verse is he's establishing he's establishing his credentials, and I want us to see these credentials are quite surprising. Credential number one, credential number one. For elders and growing Christians is a growing humility. Now, humility is all over this passage. Let me read again, verse I'm not going to look closely at, but let me read. Just hear these words. This is verses five and six of First Peter five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the gr- uh, proud, excuse me, but gives grace to the humble. And then verse six: Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you humility is a big deal in this passage it's all over the bible but it's right here but what i want us to see this morning what i want to see this morning and online welcome to those i always forget this i'm i'm the wheels are rusty i've been on sabbatical i'll get back into this uh welcome to those of you who are online um but what i want to see is the astonishing humility of the apostle peter because he writes fellow elder he's saying i'm like you Elder in Asia Minor. I'm like you, fellow elder. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, if you're not, I'm going to give you a little background here. Peter's kind of like a big deal, okay? He is a big deal, okay? He was personally chosen by Jesus to be one of the 12. And not only is he one of the 12, he's actually part of Jesus' inner circle, the inner three with John and James. He's part of the inner circle. You know, Peter, when when Jesus says, upon this church, let me stop back. It's to Peter that Jesus says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus said that to Peter. That's a big deal, okay? Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration when only three other people were there, James and John and Peter. They saw Jesus in his preeminent glory. Nobody else is seeing that, right? Peter saw it with his eyes. He wrote about it. Peter saw and talked to the resurrected Jesus He saw Jesus ascend into heaven. He preached what is arguably the most important sermon, certainly the most effective sermon of all time, the Sermon of Pentecost, which initiated the Church of Jesus Christ and saw 3,000 people come to face. He was an apostle. Peter was a big deal. But when he writes in his credentials to these people, he says that he is simply a fellow elder, a fellow elder. He's putting himself on the same level as elders in the church in Asia Minor. It's like Tiger Woods calling me a fellow golfer, okay? He's right. and, and on top of this... On top of this, this is his humility. He's writing to a non-Jewish audience, what we call a Gentile audience. And if you know Peter's history, particularly as it's taught to us in the book of Galatians chapter two, Peter was racist towards people like this. He was racist towards Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And now he's calling them fellow elders. (laughs) Peter's humility was learned and it was earned and it was real. (laughs) And for any elder, For any church leader, for any Christian who wants to grow, you must be marked not by weakness, but by a growing humility. Credential number one, a growing humility. Credential number two, Peter says, uh, I'm a fellow elder, but also I'm a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Peter's saying the other reason to listen to me is I exhort you is I saw Jesus suffer. Now I want you to notice before I talk about that, notice the things that Peter doesn't say. He doesn't say, I saw Jesus transfigured in glory. He doesn't say, I saw Jesus raised from the dead. He doesn't say, I saw Jesus ascend to the right hand of glory. He doesn't say any of those things. He saw I saw Jesus suffer. I was a witness to the sufferings of Jesus. Think about that. Now, we're not sure if Peter was actually at the cross, but Peter certainly saw Jesus suffer. And he particularly, Peter saw Jesus suffer in a way that was so painful because it was the suffering directly caused by Peter. Let me tell you the story from Luke chapter 22. Peter had been predicted he was going to deny Jesus. He's already denied Jesus three times. They're in a courtyard setting. Peter's below. Jesus is on a second story balcony. And somebody comes to Peter. Now, this is the third time. And they say to Peter, You are with Jesus. Peter says, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And it says, and immediately the cock crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Jesus. I mean, looked at Peter. Now, can you imagine that moment? Disowning the creator of the universe, disowning the person who has loved you above all, disowning the person who has been perfect in his love to you, and looking up, and at the moment of your betrayal, at the moment, locking eyes with them. Peter saw the sufferings of Christ. He saw the suffering. He was a witness to the sufferings of Christ. But the not-so-happy result of this, to be the witness of the sufferings of Christ, is to participate. This is where it gets painful, friends. To witness the sufferings of Christ is to participate in the sufferings of Christ. To enter into the sufferings of Christ. And Jesus taught Peter this personally. Mark chapter 8. Jesus was all along. When in his life, in his three years with his disciples, he was always dropping hints that he was going to suffer, he was going to die, he was going to be crucified. He kept on dropping these hints. At one time, they're walking along, and Peter and Jesus does it again. He tells them, "I'm going to suffer." And Peter says, "Come here, Jesus." He takes him aside. It says, and and Peter starts to rebuke Jesus. Okay, just imagine the scene. Peter starts to rebuke Jesus for saying that Jesus is going to suffer. Very famously, Jesus replies, "Get behind me, Satan." And then Jesus goes on to say, "If anyone would come after me," This must have burned in Peter's ears. If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. Translation, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to enter into and participate in my sufferings. You see, the way forward in salvation for Jesus was suffering. And we may not personally have seen Jesus suffer, but we all, all of us, even if we didn't witness those sufferings like Peter, we are all called to participate in the suffering of Christ. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. I don't even, somebody's going to come up to me afterwards and ask, what does that verse mean? I don't know what the verse means I'm about to quote. Colossians 1.24, it's, it's amazing to me that Paul writes this. He writes this, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings, the Apostle Paul writes, and I fill up what is lacking in the affliction of Christ. I don't know what that means. But it's saying something about participating in the sufferings of Christ. We don't just witness Peter. We are called to participate, participate in the sufferings of Christ. Now, suffering can look a lot of different ways in this world. Like Job, your suffering could be a tragedy, chronic pain, loss of family, loss of a child, debilitating disease, loss of job or wealth, loss of a spouse. Your suffering could be like the readers of 1 Peter who suffered persecution because they believed in Jesus. We particularly see this, frankly, with our high school students. And we're going to see it more and more. People who name the name of Jesus are cut out of friend groups. They're ostracized. They're shunned. They're even bullied because they name the name of Jesus. For Peter himself, his suffering was his moral failure. I mean, Peter let Jesus down multiple times. He denied him. Now, he is forgiven and restored, but Peter would have carried that wound with him. That's, it was healed, but it was a wound nonetheless, a scar. Peter had personally disappointed Jesus. There's the suffering of that. But I think in the context of Christian leadership and of the church and of any growing Christian, certainly suffering involves loving other people. It involves, lo- you, it involves other people. extending yourself for other people. A friend of mine likes to say, when we, whenever we extend ourselves in true love, whenever you extend yourself in true love, you will suffer, you will hurt. Now, question, if the credential is suffering, question is, how do I participate in the sufferings of Christ without developing a martyr complex, okay? How do I to participate or even grow in sufferings without developing a martyr complex? I'll tell you how. Draw near to people. (laughs) Get to know people. Love people. Because the more you come close to people, the more you will love. And the more you love, the more you will suffer. This morning, Chicago Tribune, one of you sent me this article. Look it up. It's called A Life Entwined with Death. Let me read from the beginning of it. A Life Entwined with Death, today's Chicago Tribune. Dover Air Force Base, Delaware. This is the place where widows wailed, where mothers buckled to the tarmac in grief, and where children lifted their teddy bears to see daddy carried off in a flag-covered box. This is where presidents stood and generals saluted, because this is the place where the price of the war in Afghanistan was made plain. And this is the place where chaplain, Reverend David Sparks, saw it all. This is the place where David Parks Parks found his calling. This, the minister says, is holy ground. End quote. But let me summarize the rest of the article for you. Dover Air Force Base was founded in 1955, and it's where airmen received the dead going all the way back to Vietnam. 20,000 of the Vietnam War dead passed through Dover Air Force Base. Since then, it's seen base shootings, Air Force crashes, terrorist attacks, space shuttle disasters. David Sparks has been the chaplain there since 1980. Since 1980. The article says this. He watched a father reaching for his dead son, repeatedly bellowing the Marine's name. He heard little boys weep. In anger, families cursed him, and in gratitude, they held him tight. He heard a boy ask, who will play catch with me now that my daddy is gone? When he would go into the mortuary... When he would go in the mortuary, David Sparks would put on one of those white suits that you wear and he would draw with a sharpie a a black cross on it so they would know who he was just to be there as the people cared for the dead bodies. And it goes on to tell the story. Let me read to you. I read to you from the beginning of the article. Let me read to you from the last two paragraphs of the article. Sparks does not look back in sadness at his years at Dover Air Force Base. As he walked with the grieving and stood with the dead, he found constant reminders of hope. And he says, in closing, it is in these moments, in these moments, that the presence of God is most real to me. You see, what happened with David Sparks, now it's an extreme example. Most of us are not going to be military chaplains, but what did he do? (laughs) He drew near to people. (laughs) He loved people. He got near to people. And when you get near to people and their stories and their lives, you will suffer. (laughs) You can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. But as the last line says, and most importantly, it was there that he called it holy ground. And he experienced and felt the presence of God. The presence of God was real to me, he says. And it's because that, and this leads us to the third credential. It's because of this suffering, drawing near to people, taking on and participating in the afflictions of Christ, that we find hope. Credential number one, humility. Credential number two, suffering. Credential number three, Hope, hope, as a fellow elder who witnessed the sufferings of Christ and a partaker in the glory to be revealed. Now, Peter failed. He was a failure. Peter denied Jesus. He was a bumbling idiot at times. But Peter knew that one day he would taste glory. That was his sure and certain hope. He could endure anything, even his own failure, because he was sure of his certain hope. I love the story. Somebody pointed this out to me after the first service. In Acts chapter 5, after Acts chapter Peter just, I love Peter, Uh, but Acts chapter 5, Peter has been beaten for talking about Jesus. He's been beaten, and then he's released, and it says, as he released, he rejoiced because he had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name. Peter grew. He, He understood his hope to the point that he could rejoice. He could be filled with joy and hope, knowing knowing his certain glory to come. So for all elders and all people who want to grow as a Christian, are you growing in humility? Are you participating in the sufferings of Christ? And Are you firm in a joyful hope? These are the credentials of an elder and every growing Christian. And I want you to see, just before we move to the next point, so you see, Christian leadership is not about being a boss. It's about being a servant and a lover. So we've seen the credentials. Let's now look at the ministry of an elder and every growing Christian. And I'll move a little bit more quickly. Look with me at verse 2. Now he's going to, he said, I, I've said all this. Here are my credentials. Now I'm going to exhort you and here's your job description. Here's the ministry of an elder and every growing Christian. Verse 2, the first part. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. What is the ministry of an elder? It is to shepherd and oversee, to care and to lead. Now, shepherd is simply a metaphor for the spiritual care of the church. Uh, The word here that's used for shepherd is actually the word pomaios. I'm not saying it right. It's the word we get pastor. And this is just interesting because all these words are kind of jumbled up right here. Uh, The word that's translated oversee here is the word episkopos. You can hear the word episcopal there. Uh, When it's used as a noun, it's translated bishop. Okay, so you have like elder, pastor, bishop all in these two verses. It's kind of interesting. And at Grace, at our church, when we talk about an elder training... We say that our elders, pastors and elders, are called to know, feed, protect, and lead. Know, feed, protect, and lead. That's our way of saying shepherd and oversee. Let's talk briefly about each one. First, know. To know the sheep and to be known by them. To know the sheep and to be known by them. It, this is true for every Christian. We've got to know other people and to be known by them, Right? Let people know. A huge part of this is prayer. One thing we've started doing in the last year or two is our elders systematically pray through the membership roster, which means that every elder prays for every member. It also means admitting people into membership, getting to know them, disciplining them if something arises, coming alongside people in hardships and joy. A big part of this, especially the knowing piece, is hospitality. One of my favorite things in being an elder is going to one of our leaders' homes and being, there with other, and being there with other folks from the church. They haven't just invited me. It's always kind of weird to invite the pastor, but it's also kind of easy to invite the pastor. But when other folks are there, I love that. And I love, In each of our elders' homes, I've had that experience. So it's knowing, but it's also feeding, feeding with God's word. This is why it's important for every person, and especially an elder, to be comfortable enough with God's word. Not just to know it, but to use it to apply it, okay? We don't, we're not called just to grow in our knowledge of God's word, but our ability to apply it to other people's life. Feed, protect, know, feed, protect, F- protect from erroneous teacher. One of the things that Nick particularly worked with all our Bible study teachers is to make sure that the teaching we're doing is biblically uh, sound, And then finally, lead. So no feed, protect, lead. Lead, of course, involves making decisions. But what lead really means, as our church, our vision, Nick started our worship service with it. We do it every week, is to welcome our neighbors, to grow together in Christ, and serve God in our community and world. Welcome, grow, serve. So what does a leader do, a Christian leader? They welcome, they grow, and they serve, and they lead in doing so. So no feed, protect, lead. Now. That's the calling, that's the ministry of an elder and every Christian. But we can't pass this, I cannot pass over this passage without noting, without noting that it's the Apostle Peter who writes this phrase, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. Now, this is an echo. If you know the story of Peter, this is an echo of other parts of his life. I've already told you once, uh, but remember that Peter denied Jesus three times. And in John chapter 21, look with it later this afternoon. In John 21, Jesus restores Peter to ministry by restoring him three times. Three times he asked Jesus, "Do you he, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter every time says yes. But every time that Peter says yes, Jesus goes on and says, then first of all, feed my lambs. Second time, tend my sheep. Third time, feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, shepherd the flock of God. So Peter right here, where he's saying shepherd the flock of God, it is burned in his memory. He's echoing what Jesus said to him to shepherd the flock of God. And he's doing it at the point where Peter had failed. He had, been, he, had, he had let Jesus down. And here's my point in this. Peter was deeply flawed. He was a great disappointment, which means he's a lot like you and a lot like me he failed jesus and god used him so that peter could come back and write you shepherd the flock of god i like to say that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future and in so many ways any type of christian leadership any type of christian ministry is simply taken our brokenness My brokenness, my need, and taking it to other people and saying, I see your brokenness. Let me point you like a beggar to a pot of food. Let me point you to the one who can heal and restore you. Let me point you to Jesus. I've been on sabbatical, so I hadn't got to say it publicly, so let me say it. One of the things we say often at this church, I try to say it at least every month. What is the gospel? The gospel is you are more wicked than you ever dared imagine. More wicked than you ever dared imagine. And more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. And what is ministry? Ministry is taking that to other people's lives and loving them. Shepherd the flock of God. So we've seen the credentials of an elder. We've seen the ministry of an elder. Let's third and briefly look at the character of an elder. The second half of verse 2 and verse 3. Look with me. I'll read again. Peter says this, shepherd the flock of God and oversee them, not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. There's three contrasts here. He's saying willingly, not under compulsion, eagerly, not for selfish gain, being an example, not domineering. This is about character. This is about how leadership is exercised. This is doing God's will in God's way, willingly, eagerly, as an example. As one of my favorite podcasts says, the disposition of grace is important as the doctrine grace how you hold your positions is as important as the positions you hold think about Jesus he was willing to suffer for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross he was eager not for selfish gain he the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life and he was anything but domineering in Matthew 11 he calls himself gentle gentle and lonely Uh, gentle and lowly so we've seen the credentials, we've seen the ministry, we've seen uh, the character of an elder in every Christian. Let's finally look at the reward of elders in every Christian. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is my deferred compensation package. Um, that's funny, by the way, okay. whether you laugh or not. Only problem is that the options don't vest until after I die. Um, but here's the good news, and this is something we need to think about. So oftentimes we think about the next 20, 30, or 40 years. We think about our children. We think about our grandchildren. We think about our retirement, what we want to do, what we want to accomplish. And we forget the eternity is to come, <laughs> the unfading crown of glory. The unfading crown of glory. That's what propelled. That's what propelled Peter on. But let me say this very clearly. The real reward here. The real reward is not the unfading crown of glory. The the, the real reward is the chief shepherd appears. It is the presence of the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. What we need most is the reward of Jesus. What we need not is so much the unfading crown of glory. We need Jesus himself and his presence because at the end of loving and serving other people, what is it that David Sparks said? What is it that he said? He found the presence, the presence of God. That, friends, is the reward of every elder and every growing Christian. And it's the reason that we aspire to these things. Let me pray for us. Our great God, we pray that uh, as we have heard this exhortation from the Apostle Peter for all of us, that we would love, that we would serve, and that we would find the great reward of your presence. For Christ's sake we pray, amen.